So here's what we're going to do today. We're launching a brand new series. It is called The Generosity Paradox. The Generosity Paradox. And I got to just tell you, I absolutely love teaching on this topic. Uh, One Family Church is a church, one of our core values is we are, we are givers, not takers. That's one of our top five core values. And I just, if I can just tell you this, um, we don't have the numbers, it's not the end of the year yet, but we're on track as a church to give away somewhere in the ballpark of $200,000 this year to other nonprofit agencies, organizations, missions agencies around the world to, <laughs> to empower them and equip them to do the things that God has called them to do. Um, I just find that to be phenomenal, and that's because of your generosity. Um, I, I know that, I know that uh, when it's this time of year, people start thinking about generosity. This is one of the reasons we do a series around generosity at the end of the year, because people begin to think about it. People are thinking about what's our year-end donation going to be, what organizations are we going to support. In fact, about a third of, of, of giving to nonprofit organizations, about a third of charitable giving happens in the last month of the year in the United States. Um, because that's when people start to think about, you know, giving gifts and, and giving donations and uh, tax benefits of giving before the end of the year and all that kind of stuff. So, so I want to lean into that uh, because that's a, that's, a, that's a reality that we're all kind of experiencing. But this series is, is going to touch on finances, but it's, it's a much bigger concept than just finances. Uh, there are ways to be generous with your time. There are ways to be generous with your skill and ability. There are ways to be generous with your emotional availability. There's relational uh, generosity. There's neighborly generosity, people who are just hospitable and kind. Do you know an, forgiving people is a generous act, right? Uh, um, showing gratitude is an act of generosity. So, so we're going to comprehensively study this concept over the next five weeks. And I am thrilled to be preaching it and teaching it. Because what I have learned about generosity, and and some of you already know this, is that the greatest beneficiary of generosity is the generous person. I want that to sink in for a moment. The greatest beneficiary, the person who benefits the most from generosity is the generous person themselves. The thing that to which they give the money or time or talent or whatever certainly benefits. But the greatest beneficiary of generosity is the one who is generous. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. More blessed to give. And so that's why at One Family Church, this has just been a baked in part of our culture. And we love to be a church that gives. We've been doing this from day one, the very first, the very first quarter of the very first year. When the quarter ended, we wrote a check that represented 10% of what had been given to the church at that time. And we wrote a check to two organizations, Kingdom House and Avenues Counseling. And we wrote a check and we said, this is part of our culture. From the beginning of this church, we want to be givers, not takers. We want to be somebody who blesses the community around us, not tries to take from the community around us. And so that is just, that is the, that is a deep part of who we are as a church. And I want to teach us about the generosity paradox. So what I want to do is let's start by defining some terms. All right. First of all, is everybody comfortable talking about generosity? Is anybody freaking out or like worried right now? Everybody's cool? I take it from your nervous laughter. You're just a little nervous. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Let's define terms. 
Generosity paradox. First of all, let's look at paradox. What is a, a paradox? Paradox is a statement that seems contradictory or implausible at first, but it turns out to be true. That's what a paradox is. It's like something you go, well, man, that can't be right. And then the more, you're, the more you think about it, like, oh, actually, it's true. Let me give you some examples of a paradox that, that maybe will resonate with you. The first one is this. The more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. It's a paradox, right? I'm learning more, but by learning more, I'm realizing that I don't know as much as I thought I knew, right? That's a paradox. Uh, how about this one? The more desperate you are to keep someone close, the more likely you are to drive them away. Come on, single people. Let me just, I just saved somebody's relationship just now. If you're clingy. Okay. The more you dislike a trait in somebody else, the more likely it is that you have that trait yourself. Have you ever noticed? I just hate it when she does that. You know, it's like, well, well, or he, or, okay. Um, The more you try to impress people, the less impressed they are. Have you noticed? People don't like it when you try that hard. Um, Here's one. We generally find love when we're not looking for it. Man, I tell you what, the single people are just, get your notebooks out. Start writing this down. This is, forget, we're going relationship series right now. (laughs) Um, People who can't trust can't be trusted. People who are not willing to open up their heart and trust other people have been so damaged that they're actually more likely to sabotage the relationship that they're worried is going to hurt them. They actually end up hurting. Another way of saying is hurt people hurt people, you know, unless you start to get healing. Um, So it's it's a paradox. The more available something is, the less you want it. (laughs) Last one is this. The only constant is change, right? These are, these are paradoxes where we go, well, wait a minute, that can't be true. And then the more you sit with it, you go, well, somehow that is true. So that's, that's what a paradox is. It's a statement that seems implausible, seems unlikely, but in fact, the more you sit with it, it's, it's true. So what do we mean by generosity? So we're going to be on this topic for a while, so I want to define some terms. Generosity is the virtue of freely, abundantly, and frequently giving good things to benefit others. That's what generosity means. It means freely and abundantly and frequently. Freely and abundantly, that means it's an attitude, not just an action. Man, why did everybody clam up on me all of a sudden? It's an attitude. So when generosity is, is an attitude of the heart, it's, it's not just a single act. So, so I can bring a coat to help a homeless person today, and that might be an act of generosity, but to become, uh, but to become a person of generosity, I have to change my attitude to be a a person who is magnanimous and generous in my heart not just with something that I give right in fact if you give and you resent giving right that doesn't benefit it might benefit the person who receives it but it's not going to benefit you right because you're giving out of a non-generous heart so it's an attitude not just an act so the most obvious form of generosity is financial generosity. This is where we all, our minds immediately go to. This is why people get worried and, and wary about generosity sermons um, because, because, because finances mean so much to us, right? They bring shelter. They provide, they put food on the table. They provide education for our kids. So, so we're, we, have a, we have a tight feeling. We have a, we have a tight relationship with money. And when, when we start thinking about generosity, if we're only thinking of that, it can make us nervous. So I want to touch on finances for a minute, but then I want to move on to some other stuff. Um, uh, a year ago, 
we launched a generosity initiative. And uh, this generosity initiative uh, was a two-year initiative designed to enhance and grow and expand um, our giving, our missions giving, our outreach giving, our operations, uh, paying down for the per purchase of the Tivoli Theater, the renovations that we're doing. So it's, it was designed for all of that, and it was called Beyond. Every, anybody remember the Beyond campaign, right? So here we're at one year. I'm going to report to you. We're at one year of the Beyond campaign. And let me just report back to you where we're at, okay? You're going you're gonna to appreciate this. So at one year of the Beyond campaign, we have given, as a, as a church community, we have given 90% of what we said we would give up to this point. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Not 90% of the whole. 90% of what we said we would give up to this. Okay, okay, now you can clap. I just want to make sure, right? I didn't want you all to go, oh, man, we're done. Okay. Um, 90%. What that means is that those of you who made a pledge last year, you are giving on that pledge, and we're up at, up at 90% of what, was, of what was pledged up to this point, okay? What that means is some, some people were not able to, or, or they moved or whatever, and that's fine, right? But 90% is pretty darn good, if you ask me. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But this other number is even more interesting. This is unpledged giving. This, th these are folks that did not make a pledge, right, last year. So I'm not going to make a pledge. I'm, I'm just not ready to make that commitment. But even that group of people now is giving 109% of what they were giving last year. So it's just incredible. At some point, I'm going to share with you um, what, what the number is for new people who were not even here last year, right, that are not represented on this chart. Because we've had, I, I've lost track, but like, I'm going to say somewhere in the ballpark of over 200 new members in the last year, and, and they're just leaning in and helping to support the mission, and so it's just been incredible. So I say all this to say thank you. That's my, that's my word to you today. It's like thank you for your generosity. It's awesome. But generosity is more than finances, right? That's a piece of it, and I want you to get that part of it, but it's way bigger than that. So we can be generous with our time, for instance. Every, every dream team member that serves here at One Family Church is demonstrating generosity with their time, meaning they could do something else with their time, but they are here serving our congregation and volunteering to serve our congregation because they, they value the ability and the opportunity to serve somebody else, to bring something good to somebody else to, to honor and glorify God. So every dream team member, every, every, every life group leader, Every member of our ministry council, every member of our board of trustees, these are people who are giving generously of their time, right? So that's time. Talent and ability. Skills, right? That's another way to be generous. If you have a particular skill set and you volunteer that skill set or that ability to some cause or some person, right, that doesn't directly benefit you, right, that's a, an act of generosity. Uh, I'm going to just call out, um, we have an architect in our, in our church called uh, Lori Smith. Lori Smith is right over here. Lori Smith, just so you know, is a brilliant architect, and she has probably given, I don't, I don't even want to guess, hundreds of hours in drawing and designing and coming up with cool ideas for the renovation at, um, at, at U-City, at the Tivoli here. And she is just, at some point, we'll, we will 
we will put her drawings in a museum so you can go look at them. They're gorgeous, right? But she has a particular skill set, and she says, I just want to use this skill set to bless other people, to honor God, right? So that's generosity of talent. My, my life group, I've got amazing, some amazing people in, our, in my life group, and they are leaders in different areas and different spheres, uh, spheres of the marketplace and the community, and they're bringing leadership truths. They're coming and teaching the life group, and they're giving of their skill and their time and their talent, their, their ability to the life group. So that's, that's a form of generosity. Another form of generosity is called relational generosity. Relational generosity. Relational generosity just means that you will stop and pay attention to somebody else. You will be emotionally available when somebody else needs you. Did you know your, your emotions, you have, you, have, you have control over what you're going to do and expend in terms of your emotional energy, right? And your attention and your, and your presence, right? So when somebody needs you and you ignore them because you're doing your own thing, that's not an act of generosity. But when somebody needs you and you stop and go, let me be open to you right now. That's a form of relational generosity. The other day, I was on my way out the door. I think, I, I think it was in the morning. I was heading, heading to work, and my daughter, Eden, wanted some relational generosity from me. She said, Dad, here's what, she said, Dad, here's what I want to do. And she had her big stuffy. She has a stuffy named Cinnamon, who's a sloth, a big, so I don't get any of this, but we had teddy bears. But they had, anyway, she's got a sloth named Cinnamon. And she says, Dad, I want to sit down, and, and I want to brush Cinnamon's hair and I want you to sit behind me, and I want you to brush my hair. <laughs> and I got my coat on. I got my keys in my hand. I got stuff to do, Steve. I got, I got places to go, Shaw. I got I to gotta move. I got places to go, right? And I'm like, my, my thought is, I don't have time for that, right? I got to go. But something checked me in, in my heart, and I said, okay, babe. I put down my keys. I took off my coat. I sat down on the floor, and I brushed Eden's hair while she brushed cinnamon's hair right now i don't remember what it was that i was in such a hurry for i don't remember what it was that i was trying to get to but either it got done or it wasn't that important after all because what was important in that moment is that i expended some relational energy with somebody who needed it right i'm not saying i'm generous i'm saying i had a moment okay <laughs> uh the last kind of generosity is called um neighborly generosity neighborly generosity just means that you're hospi hospitable that when people need you or 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 there's an opportunity to, 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 to make a, bake a cake for somebody or bring somebody a, a, a cup of soup when they're sick or whatever that is. It's just a, it's a simple act. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it's neighborly generosity. So there, there are all kinds of generosity that we're called to, right? And the Bible teaches us that there's a paradox related to generosity. There's a paradox. There's a statement about generosity that seems unlikely, seems implausible, but the more you sit with it, the more true it is. So I, what I want to do is I'm going to ground this whole series in a passage in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to explore this scripture because it displays, it talks about the paradox of generosity, the generosity paradox. Here it is in Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. It says this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. That's a paradox. Just right there. One person gives freely and yet somehow gains. Another person withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Somebody's holding on and yet somehow while they're holding off on, things are slipping through their fingers. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
That's a paradox, right? It's counterintuitive. Doesn't seem like that could be real. Doesn't seem like that could be right. Let's look at it in the ESV. I want to look at a few different translations. ESV says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. It's fascinating, right? Let me give you the last one in the New Living Translation. Give freely and become wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, let me just clarify right out of the gate. There's a, there is a false doctrine around this called the prosperity gospel, which basically means, like, if you give $700 to this church, you will receive seven times seven, whatever it is. You know, I, I don't know the formula. But you will receive, like, exactly that plus more, right? It's, it's transactional. It's an exchange, right? That's not what the Scripture is teaching. What the Scripture is teaching is that in giving we gain, in grasping we lose. It's saying there's something spiritual about opening your heart and opening your life. Now, if you give $1,000, that doesn't mean God's going to go, let me cut you a check for $1,000.50, right? That's not how that works. But the way it works is when my life becomes open, when I become an, a vessel for pouring out, it leaves room for God to pour in. All right, let me give you a visual. Let me give you a visual. Let me give you a visual. I hope this communicates. This is a, this is a, a container of water, okay? It's got a sealed cap on it. This container contains eight full ounces of water, okay? That's what it contains. Now, as long as this cap is on this bottle of water, this water will, this bottle will always contain eight, eight ounces. In fact, it's made of a, of a material that will last a very long time. You bury this in the ground, and about 14 billion years from now, you go dig it up, it's still going to have eight full ounces of water in it. That's just, that's just the way it is, right? It's a container with a cap. This is a, this is a water glass without a top, Okay? This, this glass is designed to be poured into, but more importantly, it's designed to pour out. Come on, somebody. It doesn't have a top, right? So in the lifetime of this glass, let me show you what can happen. In the lifetime of this glass, it's going to receive, all right, let's just start off with 16 ounces. And then it's going to pour that out. Well, that just left room for 16 more ounces to go in there. And then it's going to, pour out and that leaves it open for 16 more ounces and then it's gonna pour out so the difference between a cup and a bottle is that this is a container this is a conduit this glass over time will pour out thousands of ounces of water and not just water but lemonade and sweet tea, and cranberry juice, and apple juice, and milk, and Lord knows what else it will pour out. <laughs> this glass will serve my children, 
It will serve me. It will serve my wife. It will serve my family. It will serve company. It will serve my neighbors. In the lifetime of this glass, it will pour out thousands upon thousands of ounces of nourishing liquid. Why? Because it is a conduit, not a container. The scripture is saying, be a conduit. Be a vessel to be poured into and to pour out. And it turns out that the supply is actually limitless, right? God is, God is in charge of all. Emotion, wealth, physical wealth, spiritual wealth, all blessings on the earth. Everything belongs to God. And what the scripture is teaching is the more we pour out, the more he pours in. In, in, in grasping, we lose, but in giving, we gain. Now, this, this truth has been so ubiquitous. In other words, it's been taught by not just the Christian faith, but every major religious tradition teaches this exact same principle. I had a bunch of quotes that I'll share with you another time. Every major religious tradition teaches this same principle because it just turns out to be true. And in fact, you don't have to be a religious person to experience the reality of the generosity paradox. I've been reading a book recently, and I want to urge you and encourage you to check this book out. It's actually called The Paradox of Generosity. This is two uh, sociologists, two professors at Notre Dame, uh, and there are others at Berkeley and many other institutions that are actually studying the science of generosity. And what they're discovering is that when you are a generous person, when you have an attitude of generosity, not just finances, but in every respect, your life is enriched, your life is expanded in measurable ways by the act of your generosity. In fact, let me read you a, a, a quote from this book. It says this. It says, generosity is paradoxical. I think there's a quote on the next slide there. Generosity is paradoxical. Those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. Here's what they've discovered. Here's what all of the research on this discovers. If you go to the next slide, it says this. Generous people experience greater levels of happiness, better mental health, better emotional health, greater sense of purpose, less depression, and greater interest in personal growth. These are measurable ways in which a generous person, what a, what a generous person, person experiences. So when I'm teaching on generosity, the truth is what we want at One Family Church is we want something for you. We don't just want something from you. We want your life to expand through your generosity. How can this work? How does it work that the more I pour out, the more I receive? How does this work out? Work out? I'm going to give you three ways. The first one is this. The more you care for others, the less you worry about yourself. Have you ever noticed that? The more you're thinking about the needs of others, the less inwardly turned you are. The less you're obsessing over your own stuff because you're thinking about the needs of others, right? Years ago, we had, um, when our church was relatively small, we had a, a membership class, a Next Steps class. And a man came to our Next Steps class who was living in an abandoned house up on um, Page and Skinker. And he told me in, in, our, in our class that he was living in this abandoned house. And um, we had this class, and the class ended, and 
I just was, it, it kind of stuck in my mind that this is where this man was living. And um, that night I went home and I did what I used to do a lot back in the early days. I started obsessing about the church. I started obsessing like, man, is this, am I doing the right thing? Is this working? And I, I, you know, I did that thing where you start worrying about everything. I know none of y'all are ever anxious or worrying about anything, but I was just one of those, you know, wor- I was worrying. I was worrying just like, am I doing a good job? Are things working out? I mean, is this going to, eh? right? I was obs- and it was self-focused. Let's be real. Self-centered. Yes, I was worrying about the church, but I was worrying about it with respect to me. All right. Am I good? Right. I woke up about five o'clock the next morning and I noticed that it was like it was sub sub freezing. It was in the 20s, I believe, that morning. And suddenly my mind clicked on the man that had been at our next steps class uh, the night the, the day before on Sunday. And this was a Monday. I woke up. I think it must have been during Christmas break or something because I grabbed, uh, one of my boys woke up with me and I, gra- I grabbed my son. We jumped in the car. I had the address. It was in the directory of the church. I drove to the abandoned house where this man lived. It was freezing. I mean, it was absolutely freezing. I bang on the door of the house. I hear somebody go, hello? You know? I go, hey, it's Pastor Brent. And he goes, oh. He opens the door and he's like, he's got blankets upon blankets upon blankets wrapped around him but he's freezing i said man get in the car let's get you in a hotel let's get you situated man so he ended up getting in a hotel became a part of one family church he ended up he, he's moved now but he ended up going through rehab getting clean and sober got an apartment and is now on his path to a healthy and prosperous life right but what that and, and, and I'm, gr- I'm so glad that things are working out for him. But I think I might have been more impacted by that than he was. Because something shifted for me that said, hey, why don't you stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about somebody else? Why don't you start putting your care and interest on other people and stop focusing on yourself? And I got to tell you, man, the, the worry decreases. The anxiety decreases. The, the, the uncertainty decreases when you start to pour yourself out for other people, right? Here's the way the, the researchers have discovered. They say this. They say the generosity paradox can also be stated in the negative. By grasping onto what we currently have, we lose out on better goods that we might have gained. In holding on to what we possess, we diminish its long-term value to us. By always protecting ourselves against future uncertainties and misfortunes, we are affected in ways that make us more anxious about uncertainties and vulnerable to future misfortunes. In short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly take care of ourselves. It is no coincidence that the word miser is related to the word miserable. Right? Because in giving, we gain. In grasping, we lose. Here's the way Jesus said it. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Paradox of generosity. In every category that we've discussed. The more you pour out, the more he pours in. Okay, second reason. Second reason this works is generosity increases personal agency and an abundance mentality. What do you mean by personal agency? What I mean is when you become a giver of your time or of your finances or of your attention, 
your, your emotional availability. It forces you to organize whatever it is that you're giving out. And a lot of times we're disorganized. Like we want to be generous, but we just, it's, just, it's just too much going on, right? Years ago, when Rebecca and I first got married, I sat down at our house on Stanford and I started, I got a pen and a, a pencil and a, and, a, and a pencil and a piece of paper. I started writing down our debts. And can I just tell you, they were high. I've shared this a little bit. They were very, very high. We had house debt. We had car debt. We had credit card debt. We had student loan debt. Anybody with me this morning? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We had so much debt, I felt crushed under the debt. I felt anxious because we were carrying so much debt. It seemed like, like we would never get out of it. And I did that thing that you do every once in a while when you really have a great moment, you actually do the right thing. I prayed. I said, God, I, I don't know what to do. Like, we, we, we had a baby coming at that point. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Because I'm carrying so much debt that I just can't even imagine how, how we're going to get out under, under this debt. How are we going to do this? Right? And I felt the Lord impress upon me unequivocally. We were members of a church at that time down at Webster Groves. And the Lord spoke in my heart and said, I, I want you to tithe to that church. This is, this is real. This is, this is our real story. And so, man, that's really counterintuitive because what I'm saying is I don't have enough money. And what you're saying is I want you to give some away. But when Rebecca woke up the next morning, I said, this is what I feel to do. And she said, I'm 100% on board. And so we started tithing to that church. And I was working as a lawyer at that time, so I was making good money. So I'm sure, I'm sure it was helpful to that church. But I can tell you what it did for us. What it did for us is it caused us to start to organize our finances. It started to tell us and teach us to not wastefully spend it started to teach us to start to line things up and start spending things in the right area and not spending things that didn't need to be spent and not buy superfluous goods and services, right? It changed, it, it gave us personal agency. It gave us control over what seemed uncontrollable. And it also created what I call an abundance mentality rather than a scarcity mentality. Because when you give something to somebody else, you know what you're saying to yourself? You're saying, I have enough. If I give you something, implicitly what I'm saying to myself is I have enough because I'm going to give you something, right? So it starts to change your mentality from being somebody who says, well, I can't give anything away. I better remain a container. Got to keep the lid on tight, right? To saying, well, wait a minute. Actually, if I pour out, I think there'll be more, right? I want to start to be a, a conduit, a vessel, right? Here's what the research finds. Many people, it says, are disorganized, scattered, and out of control when it comes to their own money, time, and attention. Somebody say amen for the person next to you. Being generous with that money, time, and attention requires becoming intentional, getting organized, taking stock, setting priorities, and following through with decisions. That, in and of itself, is already a form of personal agency exercised. It will change your life. This is why when... when when there are people in, in, in our congregation or people who come to me that are just kind of financially all over the place, one of the first things I want to teach them is, hey, take a small portion, start small. Take a portion and start giving it away because it will help you start to organize the rest of your finances and it will start to give you an abundance mentality. It will transform your life. By God's grace, a few years ago, Rebecca and I got completely out of debt. It took what, however long it took. It took a long time. But, but we were not on that path until we started giving away and making that our priority, all right? 
So if you need to get control of some area of your life, your time, maybe your time is out of control. Maybe your finances are out of control. Maybe your emotional life is out of control. Start giving something away and see what happens on the inside of you. And here's the third one. This is the last one. Third one is that we're wired for generosity. Right? We're, we're actually wired to do this. I'm going to give you the research on this. There's a lot of research. I'm giving you tons of stuff right now. But this is our setup for the series. When people act generously, it triggers the release of chemicals in the brain and body that enhance pleasure and happiness and reduce stress and pain. These include oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, vasopressin, endorphins, and prolactin. Neuroscientists increasingly find that the reward areas of the human brain light up when people give generously to others. You are wired to be a person who pours out, right? You are wired to be a person who says, let me, I have enough, let me give something to somebody else. Time, emotion, finances, whatever it is. Here's what the Apostle Paul told Timothy when Timothy was becoming a pastor. He said, here's what I want you to tell your congregation, Timothy. He said, command them to do good. Command them to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be generous and willing to share. Why? In this way, he said, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's saying, listen, I want you to teach the congregation to pour out because when they pour out, then they take a hold of that which is really life. That which really matters. Your life begins when you start to understand that you're designed and you're built to pour yourself out for other people. What did Jesus do, right? Jesus poured himself out for other people. And when you and I say, man, we want to be like Jesus, what we start to understand is that our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls are designed to be this, not this. And when you're this, you keep getting filled up. You just keep getting refilled. You are wired for generosity. Okay, this is the last one. I'm going to close. Did I say last one last time? This one really is. Generosity at its core is an expression of love, and you were made for love. I want you to think about when you feel loved. When do you feel loved? What makes you feel loved? Tell me. Let me hear somebody. What, what makes you feel loved? Your daughter. Somebody said daughter? Daughter. Okay, so a relationship, right? Get, when somebody gives you something, right? When you're giving. Quality time, right? There, all of us feel loved in different ways, right? You, you ever read the, the, the love languages, five love languages, right? Acts of service. That's mine. If my wife makes me a ham sandwich, it's like, dude, I'll just start to cry. I'm so happy. She's acts of service. That's me. I'm just like, I love you too. She's like, I was just making you a sandwich. Words of affirmation make some people feel loved. When somebody goes, hey, I appreciate you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job, right? That makes some people feel loved because that's the way they feel loved. Gifts make some people feel loved, Right? Sometimes you just give somebody something. It doesn't even have to be. It's just if, if you put a little thought into it and you give it, right? I used to go up to AB Trading Post up here on, on Olive. They had like $11 necklaces. And I would get a necklace every once in a while for Rebecca. And I would just bring her the necklace and she would just melt. And I was like, man, that was, that was easy. That was easy. 
right? But she's a gifts person. Physical touch. Some people feel love when somebody puts their arm around them or holds their hand, you know, or squeezes them and just says, hey, I, I love you. Quality time, somebody mentioned, right? When you get time. But notice all of these require some level of generosity from somebody else towards you. Love is an act of generosity. And generosity is an act of love, right? When we, when we, when we are generous, what we're actually demonstrating, if we really get it, what we're actually demonstrating is, I understand what I was made for. I was made for love. And I'm going to pour some out. In fact, I'm going to end with this. Think about the ultimate gift that God gave. Actually, think about the ultimate expression of God's love. You guys know this because you all learned it either in Sunday school or you saw it watching football. John three sixteen. For God loved so much. He so loved. His heart was so filled with love that what? He gave, right? Because, because giving is ultimately the expression of love. And you and I were made for love. When Jesus was speaking with a Pharisee, a woman came in and she fell down on her knees and she began to wash his feet. And the Pharisee he was talking to said, why are you allowing this woman to do this? This is a woman of ill repute. And he said, she's been forgiven much. And those who are forgiven much love much, right? Here's the reality. You and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we've been given much. We've been, everything we have is a gift from God. I don't deserve anything that I have. Everything I have, the next breath I draw in my lungs is a gift from God that is unmerited. I did nothing to, I did nothing to, to deserve that. He just said, let me give you that breath, right? Everything we have is a gift. And when we really get that, we say, okay, let, let me be a cup. Let me be a vessel of love that is poured out in my community, with my family, at my church, at my school, in my home. Let me be a vessel to pour out love. So the last question I want to ask is this. What habit of generosity will I begin today? Don't tell me. Just make the commitment yourself. Is it emotional? Do you need to reach out to somebody today and say, hey, I just haven't called you for a while. Is it forgiveness? Are you harboring something? Are you containing some unforgiveness? Are you harboring some bitterness that you need to let go of? Is it gratitude? Maybe you need to tell somebody thank you who's done something kind for you, right? It's an act of generosity. Is it financial? Do you need to pour some finances out either to your church or to some organization, whatever it is, or to somebody that needs help? Let me just encourage you. Open up your heart over the next few weeks. Open up your life. Open up your mind. And let us discover what God has for each of us through the paradox of generosity. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. And you have taught us a truth by your own sacrifice and by your own generosity to us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would become vessels of generosity. That we would open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives, pour ourselves out of the love that you have poured in. Help us to serve your people well. Help us to give, not to get, 
but to benefit those who are in need. God, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts, take root, and grow. We love you, thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen.